Amen. Good to see you this morning. And uh, trust that you've had a, a blessed week uh, in and amongst uh, our remaining current situation. And as Andrew mentioned earlier, uh, we do have a date that we are looking at and we're working through all of the logistics uh, because things will be different when we do come back. And so you'll be hearing more about that uh, this week. So be very prayerful. Uh, I want to tell you for just a moment that I go on, on Sunday afternoon or Monday and I try to look back over all the people who have been watching and people who have made comments. And we love every one of you. Thank you uh, for tuning in and worshiping there at home. We miss you. And uh, we hope to see you again very, very soon. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And I will say, Lord's willing, once we get back uh, and kind of start back into a groove, we're going to pick up in Nehemiah where we left off. Uh, and it's amazing because where we left off is at the end of chapter 6 where the that there's a change going on in that book, uh, in the story of Nehemiah and the children of Israel. And the walls were finished in chapter 6. We see it uh, finished in 52 days. But then he begins to turn his attention on the moral and religious aspects of the people and uh, growing individually and growing as God's people. And so it'll be very interesting as we come back and we look at that. Today, Matthew chapter 11. Now, in preparation for this message, I, I was taken back in my memory to, to being a young man, a young husband. And I can remember when we would go uh, maybe for our first job interview and uh, they'd say, okay, we want you to come to work and this is what we're going to pay you and these are your benefits and may I say the S on the benefits was a very small S. And uh, usually it encompassed one week vacation. One week vacation. And so that one week vacation was like the golden crown on your calendar. And you circled it about 17 times. And uh, you and your spouse would have to work together. And you would literally plan your vacation a year in advance. There was no kind of spontaneity to it. You had to make sure you had reservations made and you would look forward to that vacation for 10, 11 months. And you would plan out where you would go eat and you'd plan out every single activity because you only had that one week. And if you remember doing that, you remember coming toward the end of that week, you, you rushed, you got everything ready, you had everything packed, you jumped in the minivan or whatever you were driving and you took off to the beach or to the mountains or wherever you may go. Usually, if you had a job with one week vacation, you didn't have a lot of money to be getting on a plane and going somewhere. And so uh, for us, it was usually the Redneck Riviera, better known as Panama City Beach, Florida. And uh, we would take off and, oh, it was like, the grandest thing of all. We'd throw everything in there and we would pack up and we would go. And man, when we would go in and we would rent a condo or something and, and, and it was just like we'd went into a penthouse suite. You know, country had gone to the city. 
And we would go in and we would sprawl out and we would look out. The first thing I'd do is go open the doors to the balcony and look out at the ocean and feel the breeze. And we would begin to enjoy that vacation. It would take two or three days to kind of relax, you know. And by the time you got fully relaxed, you would start thinking, man, we've only got two days left. And then it was a day and a half. And then usually the big money-spending supper was that last supper, that night before you would come home. And you would, you'd almost become sad about this week of rest was over. You'd start thinking about all the things you'd have to do. Well, I remember as that young man doing that, talking to older men about vacation, and many of them, they'd say, oh, I got seven weeks saved up and I haven't spent, I hadn't been on vacation in Three years, I said, have you lost your mind? And I just could not understand it. They said, well, the thing is, by the time I get home from vacation, I've got so much that I can't enjoy the vacation knowing what I'm going to have facing me when I get back. For a lot of us, we, we face those type of situations. And the older I've gotten, the more I understand that. Now, I say all that to say this. There is worldly rest and there's rest, real rest, that can only be found in Christ. And the things that everyone in this room and everyone watching does to find some semblance of a worldly rest, which there's nothing wrong, whether it's running Ironmans, why anyone would run when no one's chasing. I don't fully comprehend that. A lot of people have no no inkling why, why a grown man would get up before dark to go sit in a plywood box and stare out at an empty field for hours. Why someone would spend all day in a shopping area just wandering in and out like they have no earthly idea where they're at or what they're doing and just looking at all this. All of us have the things that we enjoy that provides a little bit of temporary rest. But you know, even at the end of that, you're tired. You're, you're ready to go home. You're ready to get, you know, the older you get, you, you can take two weeks vacation, but by the time it's coming to the end, you're ready to come home. And you're ready to sleep in your bed. As wonderful as walking in the footsteps of Jesus in Israel, I was ready for that plane to land and for that truck to be parked in my driveway and to see my family and to sleep in my bed. Where or in what or who do you find your rest? You see, here in Matthew 11, Jesus had been out ministering. He had his disciples with him. And everywhere he turned, they were being rejected. Rejected by their generation, rejected by the cities, rejected by the same groups of people that had seen Jesus perform great miracles. No doubt the disciples were very wrought with stress. They were overcome uh, with misunderstanding. They were wringing their hands because remember, when they came to the end, when Jesus died on the cross and they all ran, ran and hid, it was because they felt let down that Jesus was not the ruler they had 
kind of in their mind thought he would be and release them from Rome. They didn't fully understand this cornerstone that would be rejected. And so at this point, they were overwhelmed by a lack of rest. This uneasiness had begun to settle into their spirit. And so Jesus, in the last three verses of John, uh, Matthew chapter 11, speaks words that we're very familiar with, but I don't know how in-depth we are. Jesus says, come unto me. Can I tell you, that's the key that unlocks the door. Before we go any further, Jesus being the door, the key, he said, is come unto me. Not come unto the talking heads of today. And listen, I'm praying for our president, I'm praying for our governor, praying for all of our leadership, but ultimately they're all guessing just like we are. They're all wondering what is the best time, the best way. And no, there is absolutely no way you can please everyone. There's some that kind of like the whole quarantine idea and then just say we never go back. Hey, if I can stay at home and get a free check, I'm good. There are others who said, you know what? I can go back today and I might get COVID-19 and I might become very sick. I may even die from it. But if I don't go back to work, I'm going to starve to death and that's an absolute. I'm ready to go back. There are both ends of the spectrum. But what I do know is whether it's a, a, a pandemic or whether it's whatever situation you're facing in your personal life and in your family life today, Jesus said, come unto me. Come unto me. Come unto me and what? And what? We, we sang a while ago about, Lord, remember your promise. Now, I fully get that, and I love that song, but I want to tell you something. He's never forgotten a promise. He's never forgot anything he's ever said. He is God. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. Now remember, they have been rejected. They have been mistreated. They, no doubt they have been talked down to, talked at. I mean, everything you could imagine coming at them. And what is our natural unconscious response to being attacked? Retaliation. Retaliation. We see it in the garden with Peter, do we not? We see it with others throughout time that they respond unconsciously. But Jesus, full of grace and mercy, responds this way. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today, I want us to simply look at rest. You say, oh, I'm tired of rest. No, I'm, I'm not talking about not being able to go to work rest. I'm not talking about sitting there watching 
the negativity and the statistics and the numbers and when we may be able to do something and when we may not be able to. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about Netflix rest. I'm talking about resting in Jesus Christ. And so I want to begin by looking at verse 28 at the dynamic of real rest. Now we know, first of all, it is precursor on coming unto him. He didn't say, come unto the preacher. There are many who have come to me and said, preacher, I don't know how to do this. Tell me. Well, listen, I can point toward Jesus, but other than that, I can't even find rest for myself. We must never think we have all the answers apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come unto me and I. Who is I? He said, I will give you rest. When I was in seminary and we would do biblical exposition, we would have to do those wonderful things called a block diagram. And we would have to go down and we would block diagram every context through an entire book of the Bible. And here we block diagram and we see the focus of this context. I, the dynamic of real rest. Who is I? Jesus is the one speaking. Real rest, now listen to me, real rest always begins and ends with Jesus Christ. Real rest. Y'all know the difference, right? It's like we talked about a while ago. You can find that temporary rest. I can go sit in a deer stand, but after a while, especially if nothing's moving, I'm ready to go home. That old chair that we drug out of some old junkyard, we put it up in that box to make it a little more comfortable than sitting on a milk carton. Listen, it gets uncomfortable after a while. I'm cold, I'm wet, I'm whatever, or I'm just sheer bored out of my mind. And the older I get, I'll be sitting there and I'll see deer come out and I'll look and about the time I'm ready to take a shot, I'm thinking, boy, that sure is going to be a lot of work if I shoot that deer. And so I bid them adieu and I watch them walk away and I go home and I don't have to clean anything. I don't, because the rest of not having to clean it outweighs the fun of doing it. You see, real rest begins and ends with Jesus Christ. First of all, we know from the Old Testament, Jesus' word teaches us that he is the prince of peace. Real rest is centered in the Prince of Peace. Peace is where rest is found. And listen, peace does not mean there's no warring factions, nothing's going on. Some of the quietest, most intimate moments of, the, of your life with the Lord is when you're enmasked by turmoil around you and you pray and God gives you a peace that passeth all understanding. Real rest is found in the Prince of Peace. But the power of glory, understand now, Jesus, the one who said, I, is taking, listen, I can make statements, say, I can do this and I can do that, and someone a lot smarter than me can prove me wrong. They can say no, and that's why they have debates. That's why if you watch a news show, they'll have a point and a counterpoint. And this person will say, it's exactly this way. And this other person will say, it's exactly opposite that way. And then they fuss and they talk over each other for the next three-minute soundbite, and then they go to a commercial. 
But there's no one who's ever been able to talk over Jesus and succeed. No one's been able to prove him wrong, ever. Over and over and over again, they would say, but you said this. And they would try to trick him. You remember when they would come with the questions and they would try to trick Jesus? Never worked. He would turn it around on them. Why? Because he has the power of all glory. He is God in the flesh. One of the number one premises, the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That he is God in the flesh. Very God of very God. He was not 50% man and 50% God. He was 100% man and 100% God. He carries the weight of eternity. When we see God say, let us create man in our image, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost speaking man into existence. Jesus sitting on his throne, knowing, listen, Jesus didn't come into existence when he was born there in a stable in Bethlehem. He was God before that. But we see through Hebrews that Jesus was better. But he was made lower, he said in Philippians 2, lower than the angels, born into human flesh. But of the incurable seed and a man who knew no sin, the only man, to have been born and lived his entire life without sin so that he could be a propitiation for you and I. He is, listen, the dynamic of rest is that big capital I. It is Jesus, the power of all heaven and earth. He moves time with his voice. Don't you think he can do that for you? Right now, sitting in your recliner, on your couch, on your back deck, drinking coffee, Whatever you may be doing, listen, whatever turmoil is in your life, the the doubts and the confusion about what's going on in society, don't you think that the one who spoke this world into existence, who told us through David that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, the one who told Job that he held the span of the world in his hand, the one who divided the Red Sea, and walked on the Sea of Galilee, don't you know that the one who called Lazarus being dead out of the tomb and made him alive has got this situation at hand. I, the Prince of Peace, the power of glory, but this God, the God, the only God said, I will give. Now, I had a great uncle that when I was a boy, I'd hang out at the grocery store that my dad owned, and I would go down there. I didn't just hang out. I worked down there and did whatever dad said, but I had an, a great uncle, my, my dad's mother's brother, my great uncle, and he drove this old 1960-something, beautiful 1960-something Ford pickup truck. He always wore his hat back and cocked over on the side like the old men do, you know. And his name was Buner. But he despised it. And you better not call him Uncle Buner. My daddy called him Uncle Buner because that's what 
he heard his mother call, call him Buner. But he wanted to be called Uncle Pete. I don't know where Pete come from. It wasn't his name. But I called him Uncle Pete because I knew that if I was kind and nice, every once in a while, Uncle Pete would be standing around. He didn't have anything else to do. He was retired. He'd come down there and stand at the end of the counter at the grocery store and get him a six and a half ounce Coca-Cola out of the machine, you know, and stand there and talk to my dad. I'd be busy around doing whatever. And he'd say, hey, hey, boy. They didn't ever call you by name back then. Everybody was boy. He said, hey, boy, come here. I'd say, yes, sir, Uncle Pete. I'd go up there, and he'd reach in his pocket, you know, and he'd start jingling. I can't stand anything in my pocket, so I can't do it good. But he'd start jingling stuff, and he'd say, wait. And he'd pull out, and he'd have a 50-cent piece. Well, that was like a million dollars to me because we would walk the ditches looking for Coke bottles because you would turn them in. I know I'm dating myself. But a 50-cent piece, and then on our birthday, he would give me a silver dollar. That was like a gazillion dollars. And I still have many of those even today. Listen, when Uncle Pete said, hey, boy, come here, I knew he was fixing to give me something. I'd get all giddy inside, I'd get, and I'd try to control it. And I'd, I'd walk up, and they wasn't no, huh? Or, yeah, I can assure you, when you know something's coming, you're on your best behavior. And I'd say, yes, sir, stand at attention. He'd have that old hat cocked back. He'd reach in. he said, here, boy, I want to give you something. Listen, I could have asked, I said, what do you want, old man? I ain't got time for all this. And he would have just slid his hand back out of his pocket. He said, never mind, go on. I want to tell you something. If you think you can come to Jesus living in sin, acting any way you want, and you think God owes you something, you're never going to find peace. Because he said, come unto me and I will give you rest. You can't come to the throne of God, popping gum, living in sin, justifying your behavior based on culture and think God has got to fix you. We have got to, if we're ever going to see any semblance of revival, it's going to come when we humble ourselves and understand he said, be holy even as I am holy. And when we approach the throne of God in a humble, broken, contrite spirit and come unto him that way, he said, I will give. It's a conditional promise based upon our approach to him. It's future tense here. Come unto me out there. Come unto me tomorrow. Come unto me Wednesday. Come unto me three weeks from now. If you're still living 50 years from now and the Lord's not returned, come unto me then. Come unto me humbled, broken, contrite, repentant, and I will give you rest. Now, I don't mean to lay, remember now, he he reminds us, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're not trying to keep the law to get to him. We're coming to him repentant because we can't keep the law. There is none good, no, not one. There's none righteous. I'm not saying fix yourself up, clean yourself up, and then come to God. But to come to God realizing who you are like God sees you apart from Christ, 
and who God will see through Christ and trusting the one who died for your sins. I will give who? I'll give y'all. I'll throw some out. You know, we, we act like if, and here's a lesson we need to learn through this quarantine time is it's not a blanket promise for the local assemblies. Yes, the Lord teaches us that it is his, the church is his bride. One day we'll be adorned for the bridegroom. But I want you to understand that as a corporate group of a local assembly of believers and non-believers for that matter who come into the doors does not mean that God is just going to randomly cast out blessings over all because of just one. Now, he does from time to time as he sees fit. But your relationship, your personal relationship of knowing that inner peace when no one else is around. We're sitting at home. We can't come sit in the pews. We can't come and sing in the choir. We can't come and participate. But we can still find the peace that passeth all understanding. We can find rest in the Lord. I love it when people say, man, it's killing me not be able to come and worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. You, he said, I will give you. It's a personal promise based on the power of the giver. Now, have you ever had someone trick you into thinking you were going to get something and then you didn't give it or, or get it? They tricked you into it. Oh, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you that. Jesus never tricks us. He said, if you do this, you will find rest. It's a personal promise based on him, on the power of the one who's giving peace. Listen, in my life, I counted up the other night. I was born 1964. So I was born under... President Lyndon B. Johnson. And in my life, I have lived under Lyndon B. Johnson, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, uh, Bill Clinton, W. Bush, Obama, and now Trump. I've lived under all of those. And I've seen good times, I've seen bad. I've seen things come and I've seen things go. What I know is I can remember seeing the Israeli-Palestinian Accords with Carter. I saw it with Clinton. I've seen it with other times where the, the Muslim nations were represented by one on one side and the uh, nation of Israel represented by the prime minister on the other and all these peace accords and all these treaties and all these signs and what I've known through my entire life is they were not worth the paper they were written on. And I'm here to tell you the only time that land's going to find true lasting peace it's not during the tribulation, but when Jesus puts his foot back on the earth and rules this world with a rod of iron, the Prince of Peace will give rest in the land. They will truly beat their swords into plowshares. And the days of all the missiles and all the uh, 
intercontinental ballistic weaponry and all of the, the nuclear uh, death that seems to cause great fear and angst through our lives will have passed. You see, it's, this promise is based on the power of the giver. Our rest is not subsequent to others. You know, whether your spouse or your parent or your child or your boss or, or your pastor or whoever, your personal peace depends on your relationship with him, trusting him as being your Lord and Savior. And when I say that, that he not only saves you, but you have surrendered your all to him as master of your life. And that's simply by saying, yes, Lord. Coming and kneeling before his throne and saying, yes, Lord. And that's where rest. Listen, we can't live off others' rest. Just can't do it. You know, I love to hear stories of people who go on trips. I, I love to travel and love to go to new places, different places. And I love to hear stories about when people go to a different continent or go to a country I've not been to or go to some other places. And I have my bucket list of places I want to see and things I want to do. And I, I, I kind of live vicariously through those who tell me stories. And I can even look at pictures. But one thing I've realized by showing my pictures of going to Israel or something, after a few pictures, they're ready to move on because it's not the same as being there yourself. And a lot of people can talk about Jesus for a little bit, but they're ready to move on to something else because they have never truly, or they, it's been a while since they have experienced real rest in their life. And I want you to also understand our rest, our peace, cannot be dictated by society or any other power. I believe one of the greatest pictures of rest for a born-again believer in the Bible is Peter chained to two soldiers. The death penalty had been given. After the sun rose the next day, Peter was to be put to death. And he lay chained to two soldiers. And they had a prayer meeting. You remember this? They had a prayer meeting, and you remember the young girl, Rhoda? She hears a knock on the door, and she goes and finds out it's Peter. And They were so sure of their prayer, they said, leave us alone. We're trying to pray that God will take care of Peter. She said, he, he's at the door. Leave us alone. You're seeing things. Well, that's a lot of faith, isn't it? But here's the deal. When Peter laid down, when the spirit shook and the change fell off when God raised Peter up. They had to wake him up. He was asleep. I don't know about you. If I think, and at this point, you almost know mentally he was satisfied. As Paul said, it's better for me to go be with the Lord, but it's God's will for me to be here. So whether I'm here or whether I'm there, I want to be all there for Christ. Peter understood that. Peter lay there and they're like, Peter, I'm trying to get you up, son. I got things for you to do. It's not time yet. God had to wake him up. He was at such peace with God's will for his life. Listen, real rest must come from something. 
Real rest must come from something. He said in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. Isn't it ironic that he uses yoke and rest for our souls in the same context? Because yoke represents work. It represents work. I'm going to tell you something. There's no rest like coming home after a good, hard, long, true day of work where you feel like you accomplished something to provide for your family. He said, my yoke is easy. This idea as believers, we can't share our faith. I'm too nervous. I'm too something. I'm going to tell you, you will never find peace until you find what God wants in your life. Number one, there is no question, God's called you to be a soul winner. He told them in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, and once again, being rejected, being mistreated, John even questioned, are you the one? I mean, everything was going against them. Jesus spoke to them. He said, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Some of us are wearied in well-doing. I've heard it say the Catholics will pray you to death and the Baptists will work you to death. There's a lot of truth to that. But there's a time for us to get away and rest. And I pray that everybody that's watching right now, the day's coming if the Lord doesn't come. Listen, the Lord may come today. But if the Lord has not come, and we always say if he tarries, the Lord's not going to tarry. When the Lord comes, it's going to be time. God's going to look over at him and say, go get your bride. And he's coming. Nothing's going to stop him. But if he's not come back between now and several weeks from now, it's going to be that Saturday night where you get to lay your clothes out. It's going to be that Sunday morning where you have to get up and wrangle your brood and get them in the vehicle and come to church. And you're going to sit with your family. And you're going to sit among your brothers and sisters in Christ. That day is coming. But right now, God has got us all in a deserted place. Maybe God is causing us to be able to rest in preparation for what is coming. Who knows? I love, I love the movie Castaway. And the best part is before he stands at the crossroads when he's speaking to his friend and he speaks of losing the love of his life, it is tempered with the fact that his friend had lost his wife to cancer. And he realizes it at that moment. He stops his complaining and he tells his friend, I am so sorry I was not here for you. But then as he goes on, he said, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. He said, who knows what tomorrow may hold? We have no idea, church, what the future looks like. Would you have imagined last October we would be in this? My own words have been thrown at me. I shared with our finance team. We've worked on the emergency fund for, I know, four years. 
And this past December, we fully funded it. For those of you who are not members who didn't know, we fully funded a three-month emergency fund. And so when we announced this for church approval in December during our regular meeting to approve the budget, I described it as that emergency fund, though we may never need it, but if the world shut down and we received not one dime for three months, we would be able to make payroll and keep the lights on. And as soon as they quarantined and said, listen, we ask you, no one demanded, I don't care what you think, what you've heard, the president or our governor did not tell us we could not have church. They did not say that. I don't care what knucklehead thinks that we are some kind of liberals because we're not having church. I'm going to tell you, I love my church too much to feed them to the wolves. I just do. I had no idea when I made that statement we would be in the situation we're in now. But I know God prepared our hearts. God prepared our lives, but does he not have it? He said, come away. Don't waste this time. Don't waste this time. Maybe you've been so haggard and worried sick about whether you're going to have toilet paper or not. For once, I'm glad when my wife goes to Sam's, she goes to Sam's. I don't know that we've bought toilet, toilet paper this entire time. We didn't need to. But you know what? No stress about it. We good. We're good. You see, there's, there's three areas that I want to talk to you about real rest coming from the one who can do something about it. Real rest must come from something. Jesus said, come and I'll, I'll give you rest. It, it's rest from mental uncertainty. It's rest from something. What are we finding rest from? He said, lean on or learn of me. Lean on me. Learn of me. Same thing. Mental uncertainty. What are we going? Here it is. Fear is usually generated by one thing. The lack of control with the understanding that we do not comprehend the future. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's going to happen. Am I going to have a job? Am I going to, am I going to get sick? Is my family going to get sick? Am I going to have toilet paper? Or, or what are we going to do? And so based on that lack of knowing, there's a mental uncertainty. Real rest says, I can fix that. You don't have to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. All, how much is all these things? All. I think that includes toilet paper and Lysol. And all these things shall be added unto you. Mental uncertainty of the unknown. The mental uncertainty of measuring up. I remember the first Sunday I came. And before the first Sunday, it was the first Saturday. Y'all remember that? We walked in the social hall door. And it was crowded. I mean crowded. Uh, it was like, I don't know, 
we were expecting someone famous besides, because I'm not famous. It was so packed and everybody wanted their five minutes to talk to me and ask me questions and all this. And I can remember walking in there and not knowing anyone, it was overwhelming. And I, I would consider myself an extrovert. I would consider myself very gregarious and like meeting people and talking with people. But when it's thrust into that, to where everybody knows everybody except me. And I feel like a thumb among 50 fingers. And, and I just don't fit in. And I can remember walking in, what are you going to do about music? What are you going to do about this? And what do you think about this? And all these other things. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Hold on. Take a deep breath. And I was feeling the weight of trying to measure up to be because the pastor here before was so great and was so loving. And I heard that over and over and over. Matter of fact, he called me. And he told me, he called me one day and I was at the Alabama State Convention. I was in Mobile and I looked at this number and I saw it was Claxton. I said, well, I better answer it. And I answer it. And he says, hey, I'm a pastor that just left. He said, I want to tell you, if God's calling you to that church, he must sure love you. And he meant it as a great encouragement but that was like taking a dump truck of weight and dumping over my shoulders. And I so felt like, oh man, I don't know if I can measure up. Measuring up will never give you peace. Self-reliance. Now we're, we're taught in the South, men and women alike, you know, deal with it. Get over it. Do something about it. Don't sit around and wait for somebody to fix your problems. There's a lot of truth to that, but there's a point where you've got to realize there are problems you can't solve. Your spouse, your parents, a book, a professor, a president, a person you love on this earth more than anyone else can't solve the problem you got. Only Jesus only Jesus. You're watching today and you know this just spoke truth into your heart. That you're trying to rely, you're trying to fix your family. The only way you know how and it's not working, it's not going to work. You're trying to fix your job. You're trying to fix your children. You're trying to fix your parents. You can't do it. You can't fix yourself. Real rest must be from this mental uncertainty, from physical fatigue. Literally means to labor. What he said, all you that labor are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. It, to feel fatigued, to be wearied. And there is no, I mean, when you're just absolutely wrung out, worn out from striving, for worldly success. You see people your age and it looks like they've got more degrees, they've got more money, they've got bigger houses, they've got finer cars, they've got more than you will ever have, you think. And you feel like you've got to work harder and work more hours so that you can measure up. Striving for worldly success will not give you rest, it will drive you from it. I've said it a hundred times and I'll say it again. 
Someone wrote one time, it says, half of the world are working themselves to death trying to have what's making the other half miserable. I sat and watched part of the NFL football draft. Y'all watched that this weekend? You kept up with it because a Georgia Southern kicker was drafted. A kicker was drafted. That's big. Yeah. But a kicker? I mean, that's drag. But, but who will remember in 10 years? Who will remember in 10 years? Nobody. Do you know what they call the last, and I know y'all do, but do you know what the last draft pick, these are, they've made it now. They've made it. They're not unsigned free agents. They're not just working themselves in. They are drafted. Do you know what they call the last draft pick in the NFL pro football draft? Mr. Irrelevant. That is the title that was given that draft pick years and years ago. Mr. Irrelevant. They say, you're irrelevant. You're the last draft pick. But in turn, they're actually one of the, number one and the last one becomes the most relevant because they're remembered simply by the name. I want you all to understand, you can't work hard enough because they, this world is full of useless statistics. You watch a football, baseball, basketball game, and it is amazing how many people come up with these records I never heard of. Other day they said, guess who has the most receiving yards in an NFL game? And they asked pros, lifelong pros, who do you think has this? Some said Megatron uh, that played for Georgia Tech and then played for Detroit Lions. Others said Randy Moss, that great receiver. Others said uh, uh, Rice, you know, and all that. It wasn't any of them. I said Steve Largent, the famous receiver for Seattle, wasn't him. The greatest, you'll never guess the guy's name. Matter of fact, it was so, so obscure, I still don't remember his name. I just remember that Everett was the quarterback that threw to him, and he played for the Rams, and he went in because the starting receiver was hurt. And he sat, and it still stands after almost, he has a son now playing in the NFL. It stood for over 25 years, the most receiving yards. But somebody will break it. You know, no one thought anyone could replace Tom Brady, yet they're going to this year. No one can replace Brett Favre. I imagine Aaron Rodgers is wondering right now about his job security. You see, striving for worldly success it may come with rings, it may come with trophies, but it'll never last. Working for a false, listen to me, working for a false eternal significance. There are people, billions, not millions, billions of people who are trying to work their way into heaven. And I'm going to say this and move on. For anyone out there that says, you know, I've done a lot of good, praise God. Do all the good you can. Help people out. True religion says that you care about widows and kids who don't have parents. But I want you to understand something. 
If you gave away every single thing you owe, own, not owe, everything you own, you gave it all away. If you were able to solve the pandemic single-handedly, you ride through the hospital every night, honk your horns and wave in appreciation. Thank God. You go and you cook for first responders' suppers to let them know they're appreciated. Amen. But if you think all that's going to get you to heaven, I want to ask you one question. Why did Jesus die? Jesus died because you cannot work your way into glory. It'll only come through his blood. And, and what happens with physical fatigue, self-destruction. People are drinking themselves to death. They're drugging themselves to death. They're exercising themselves to death. We are physically fatigued more than ever before. And yet, it's not doing us any good. And then spiritual anxiety. He said those who are heavy laden, overburdened. We have angst. We're stressed over unrepentant sin. You know what causes all of us the most heartburn? There's sin in our life that's unrepentant. We've never become honest before God. God already knows it. Why not find rest today and confess it? Unanswered call. God has said, you must follow me. You say, where? He said, wherever I say. Just come and go. And yet you have, I just don't know if I can do that. I've heard people, and this is the saddest thing. I've had people tell me in my ministry, you know, God called me to something right out of high school, and I, I said no. It's the biggest regret of my life. Well, if you're still breathing, it's not too late to do something God's calling you to do. And then the anxiety of self-assurance. If there is anyone that will let you down, hear me today, you can write this down, quote of the day. If there's anybody in this world that will let you down, it's you. No one will let you down like you will. I'm here to tell you there's only one way to get rest and to get rid of this mental uncertainty, this physical fatigue, this spiritual anxiety, and that is to get on your knees right now Get off the couch, get off the recliner, get off the bed, get out of the chair on your deck and kneel down right where you're at. Kneel down right where you're at and confess that you're a sinner. Tell the Lord how broken and useless you are without him and confess that he is Lord and Savior of all, that he died on the cross for the sins of mankind, that he shed his blood for you and beg him for forgiveness. And ask him to come into your life and wash you white as snow. You see, this self-assurance of I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. No, you're not good apart from Jesus. Real rest must be from something, but then it must be unto something. You see, where there's mental uncertainty, we find mental clarity. Understanding who we are in Christ or who we can be. Following him. Being what God has called us to be brings mental clarity, right? And then physical ease, experiencing what can be done through and in Christ. Through Christ. In Christ 
is where our physical ease. Hey, his yoke is easy, but it is a yoke. Did he not tell the disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross? That is, in essence, saying you've got to carry something. Take up your cross. You can't take up mine. I can't take up yours. We can pray for one another, but you have a cross to bear. Will you do it? And then spiritual rest. Enjoying the assurance of salvation and a real relationship with the one who can do something in your life. Jean Nicholas Grew wrote, How shall we rest in God? By giving ourselves wholly to Him. If you give yourself by halves, you cannot find full rest. There will ever be a lurking disquiet in that half that is withheld. Martyrs, confessors, saints of all kinds have tasted this rest and counted themselves happy in that they endured, counting it all joy when they faced temptation. A countless host of God's faithful servants have drunk deeply of it under the daily burden of a weary life, dull, commonplace, painful, or desolate. All that God has been to them, he is ready to be to you. The heart once fairly given to God with a clear conscience, a fitting rule of life, and a steadfast purpose of obedience, you will find a wonderful sense of rest washing over you. Listen, in closing, I want to read Hebrews 4.1. After I reiterate Matthew, Jesus said, come unto me. Come unto me. The Lord of all glory, the Son of God said, come unto me, all ye that labor, all ye that are fatigued mentally, physically, spiritually, stressed out, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Hebrews 4.1 says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his promise, this promise that he's given us that is conditional on us coming to him. He said, let us fear, reverence God, lest this promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you, any of us, any of you should seem to come short of it. In the face of trials and tribulations, there's rest for a weary soul. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the only true rest you'll ever find. And if you're saved but you're living in anxiety, you're living with stress, you're living with the brokenness that is the lack of rest, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to him right now, right where you're at. And you'll find his rest. May God bless you. May God bless his church as we go this week is our prayer today in Jesus' name.